Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Khan, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business without burning out. This episode is called Finding a Market to Build a SaaS. So let's get started. So you want to build a SaaS. You think it can solve a problem that other people are having. They might even pay you money for it. Now, all you need is an audience, a market for your product, an audience to sell to a bunch of people that like your product enough to enter their payment information. This audience should be large enough and allow you to build a sustainable business. You'll likely have some competition eventually. This audience should also be small enough not to be generic. You want to sell to a defined group of people, not everyone. The bootstrap business works out best when it starts in a niche. Most companies will do really well by just staying there. Some expand into other markets, but that initial audience is one of the most important things to carefully select when you start a business. I'll be sharing the strategy we used for Feedback Panda when we started out. It allowed us to focus on a clear niche and grow the company from zero to over $50,000 in MRR before we sold the business two years after we started. When we started Feedback Panda, we had noticed a painful problem, a problem we experienced for ourselves. So we solved it for ourselves. We then saw that other teachers, just like Danielle, could benefit from our solution. They had the same exact problem. We knew our first version already solved the problem well. That's why we knew other teachers would pay for it. But were there enough teachers? And would they be willing to pay? Did they have the same need? In short, we needed to figure out if our combination of problem and solution had an addressable market. In my experience for Feedback Panda and the startups I've worked at before, this can be determined by asking the following questions. First question, have we found a painful problem? You can solve a lot of problems, big problems, small problems, invisible problems, and obvious issues. Not all solutions will have an addressable market. People are willing to pay for some things, and they won't even consider spending money on others. They will spend money on their most critical problem, though. The closer you are to that one core issue customers are having with their job or activity, the more likely you are to capture a large part of the market with your solution. For bootstrap companies in particular, this is very important, as you can't just easily add more products or work on different things at the same time. Having a problem figured out from the beginning gives you initial traction that will guide your future efforts. Another question. Is the audience large enough? Your audience will have to be big enough to sustain you and your business. It'll likely also have to support a few competitors as any successful business will attract competition. Determining the size of your audience is a rather work-intensive task, but absolutely required before you decide to invest your time in starting a business in a market. Boils down to doing the research and asking subject matter experts in the field about the current size and the growth trajectory. If you think that you can make a good living with whatever business model you decide to use, the niche is right for you. If there are not enough people, widen the niche by adding adjacent groups to your audience and see if you can adjust the problem and your solution to serve those people too. Another important question after is the audience large enough is, is the audience small enough? Contrary to popular belief, I think that for a bootstrap company in particular, some markets can be way too big. Some audiences are too generic, 
some industries too vast for a great niche to exist in them. At least in the beginning, you should have a clearly defined niche. As a bootstrap entrepreneur, you'll reach out to customers, be in direct contact. For that to work, you have to find the right people. And if there are millions of people in an industry, your chance of finding the right ones goes down significantly. Find the subject matter experts and finding them will be almost impossible at that point. If you find that your audience is too general, try adding constraints. If you're looking at teachers as your market, for example, make it teachers who teach math. Problems change, they'll become more clear and solutions become more focused. Math teachers talk to each other. Math teachers in K-12 talk to other math math teachers in K-12. The smaller your audience, the more it will have built-in network effects as well. Can they pay? And will they pay? Sometimes you'll be serving companies that have a budget for what you offer. Other times you might help a currently underserved segment of a low wage industry like we did at Feedback Panda. The capacity and willingness to pay will be very different between those two. While it's enticing to go for the big guys with the massive budgets, you'll encounter a lot of competition there. The willingness to pay is there, obviously, but you will have to work hard to make them actually switch vendors or justify yet another expense. They'll also be hard to retain, as they are capable of changing vendors quickly in such a crowded field. Serving a currently underserved market comes with the opposite problem. There won't be much competition, but people are also not used to paying for solutions. They often have just scraped by using their own tools built on Excel or Google Sheets. You'll have to spend more time convincing people that your solution will provide substantial value before they grab the credit card. Once previously underserved customers commit to paying though, they will be your customers for a long time. You can build a lot of goodwill from serving such a market and it will create a lot of value for your company with extremely high retention and low churn. At Feedback Panda, we had the opportunity to serve such an underserved market. We still have customers from uh, when we first launched the product and word of mouth marketing was our only channel of marketing for the longest time. Truly loyal customers who felt nothing but appreciation for being finally served. That allowed us to ask them to talk about it in their community and which eventually led to a lot of referrals and a lot of goodwill and they talked to them like to their peers with significant effect. If you've found a painful problem, a niche audience that is both small and big enough for your business in the Goldilocks zone, um, and you make sure they're actually willing to pay for your solution, you have found your audience. You can go and build out your product and marketing strategies for that market now. I mean, you still need to do validation, but the audience is the most important first step, right? Too big and you fail too small, you never get any traction, find the Goldilocks zone, and then continue your journey. There are a few more things to consider that are great to have in the market, but not important enough to be a good reason not to go in the market when uh, yeah, when they're missing or when they're not there. Let me just name a couple. If your market has adjacent product opportunities, that will give you a chance to think about future products you can sell. For a teacher market where we focus solely on solving their productivity problems, one could imagine to offer additional products that engage the other issues that self-employed teachers might have, like scheduling or invoice tracking. To know that these issues are mostly unsolved as well allows you to think about where to expand the business once it becomes successful 
And I guess the expectation that customers have of a new product and of an established product are quite different as well. So over time, people will ask for more integrations. They will ask for support for different formats and for different exports reporting, these kind of things. You will find that along the way. But in the beginning, it's nice to know that there might be opportunities there. You should also think about how easy it will be to scale your business in the market. Most of the time, the market won't grow enough to keep your business growing as a side effect. You'll need to broaden your audience at some point, and knowing that there are untapped groups and customer segments will make this a strategy you can keep in the back of your mind. For our business, it was knowing that while we were serving the teachers for several online English schools, there were hundreds of other schools in that market. They were both already in the market and popping up all over the place as it was an emerging market and still is at this point. They would then just add support for more of those schools to increase our own growth rate. So we kind of just hooked into the growth uh, trajectory of the market by keeping updated and keeping our customers happy with the things that they also found in the market. Um, In this case, it was, like I said, it was schools and if you think about an online school, it's essentially a web platform, right? It's a, it's a web company. So these were easily copied and easily cloned. And that happened quite a lot, surprisingly, in China. And Chinese companies like this, there, there was 10 in January, and there might have been 40, 50 in February, and a couple hundred in, in March. Like, that's how fast this grew. So we just really had to keep updating our extensions and keeping our customers able to teach for these new schools through our system to benefit from the growth that was happening in the market. Knowing if you need to focus more on sales or on marketing is also very important when it comes to looking at your market. Some markets require you to reach out to buyers individually. For others, a good and well-targeted marketing strategy might mean you will never have to talk to a single customer before they subscribe or purchase. It's like the difference in low touch and high touch when it comes to the kind of service that you offer. Being aware of this will help you develop over time um, of how uh, being aware of how this will develop over time is essential to focusing on what matters. So what are good markets for bootstrap SaaS? Well, there are a few qualities in the market that make it the right choice for starting a bootstrap SaaS business, in my opinion. So if you, for example, see that significant forces are terraforming a market, creating an opportunity where there was none before, that is usually a good sign. Whenever a new kind of technology or process gets traction in a field that hasn't seen much change before, it'll create all these little points of friction, and some of them will be critical. These will be the ones that warrant creating a SaaS business. Good example for this, I think, is Shopify, because that is a terraforming force. There was Magento and all these sort of like kind of online store solutions earlier, but they did not provide the kind of streamlined experience. And even though the experience is highly streamlined, people still need certain things that Shopify itself doesn't offer. So a platform like this, allowing you to build plugins and extensions, is usually a sign that it's a good market for a bootstrap business, particularly if the company in question has a track record of being supportive of plugins and not shutting them down at all times. So it was the same for us at Feedback Panda because the Chinese whole Chinese education market was terraformed at the point with um, online conferencing tools becoming more both affordable and technically feasible for Chinese parents and children. So all of a sudden there was a new technology, which was yeah, face-to-face online calls 
that did not exist in many parts of China in the past. So this all of a sudden opened up the market for a lot of solutions and ours was part of it. So any newly created niches are interesting for a bootstrap founder. The problems in there will be unique, exciting, and can usually be solved quite well due to occurring in the well-defined niche, right? Often these niches are not just regulated to death already because they haven't been around for that long. So they have the opportunity to experiment without having to follow strict guidelines or rules that may limit you um, as they do limit uh, small startups later down the road in bigger industries. You see this a lot when it comes to transportation or when it comes to food and stuff. The, the rules are there for a good reason because it has the rules have proven to be good. But in new niches, the rules themselves, regulation and law, are also experimental in many cases. So you being a business that is not yet beholden to them will give you lots of opportunities to just try out a number of things. You may often be the one actually setting the guidelines and laying the groundwork for the regulations to fall on. Um, that the thing is, if you look into Uber and Lyft and these kind of transportation companies, like before that with taxis, there wasn't really the need to regulate like individuals driving other people for money there because the taxi system caught that all. But with the startups infringing on that space, all of a sudden no regulation needed to happen. Airbnb is the same example. People would not rent out their apartments at the same scale as they've been doing through Airbnb. So all of a sudden the side effects of this, people renting out apartments indefinitely, essentially being yeah, hostels or hotels, like renting whole floors in buildings to just rent them out on Airbnb, that kind of stuff didn't exist before. So it came with the wave of changes in the niche that was carved out by these companies. I'm aware that these are not bootstrap examples, but the idea is that the niche is the topic here, not bootstrapping particularly. So a good market is one where this is happening. There's a lot of space for Airbnb adjacent bootstrap startups for Shopify adjacent bootstrap startups, for Uber adjacent bootstrap startups. Once there's this terraforming movement in a niche, a new niche coming up, there's a lot of opportunity. Some markets, and that's the one and another point where there's a lot of small deciders with their own budgets that are making decisions are very lucrative. It's the kind of B2BC market, right? It's not B2B because it's not going through the sales part of an organization. But it's also not B2C because you're actually not talking to consumers. You're talking to professionals. So these people can be convinced without needing to deploy corporate diplomacy. Um, example for this would be, I guess, individual hair salons or restaurants or um, yeah, online teachers is a good example. Freelancers, these kind of markets. You can show them a product and they'll try it out and they'll have no one telling them not to. Right? So small businesses and freelancers are great audiences for bootstrap SaaS as they have budgets, small budgets maybe, but if there's a painful enough problem, there will be money to fix it. That is also our experience. Like teachers don't make a lot of money. You could sometimes notice that people are having a day job and then they would teach as well for hours a day just to scrape by. And they would still pay 10 bucks a month and finally 15 bucks a month for a product that would help them make more money. So that was really, really noticeable. And uh, it worked out really well for us. Underserved, market, underserved markets are a great place to start a company. 
as I said just now, there will be no meaningful competition. Customers will love the fact that someone is finally thinking of them. And you will get a lot of market share quickly if you find a market where scaling isn't too complicated. So we talked about the good markets for bootstrap SaaS. Let's talk about the bad markets too. Just as much as there are good markets to start out in, some will just make it hard to run a bootstrap business in. Enterprise markets are hard to sell into for a small company, for example, although it's not impossible. Purchasing decisions take a long time. There are a lot of requirements even to be considered, and contracts tend to be custom and require a lot of work. Many enterprise customers won't buy from small companies out of the often justified fear that they'll vanish within a few years. And that's really not unfounded, particularly for bootstrap businesses that are built to sell and are sold and then kind of develop differently than they were intentionally going. So even for your own bootstrap business, I would recommend against using services offered by companies smaller than yourself. You'll be better off looking for a market that is comprised of small to medium businesses and self-employed freelancers than just to go into enterprise. Of course, you can sell to enterprise. And it kind of depends on um, how you sell your product because many products can be useful for small businesses as much as it can be useful to enterprise. Um, So yeah, you can still sell to more prominent companies as long as their decision makers are relatively far down the corporate hierarchy. If selling to a business involves any high-level management or even C-level approval, the market may not be for your bootstrap company, at least not when you start out. Monopoly markets with just a few big players will also severely limit your options. You won't have many opportunities to experiment when every sales call is critical to your survival. And as a small business, your leverage is insignificant when your customers are much, much bigger than you are. So you should aim for equal size or smaller. And markets where ruthless competition over the years has created a large number of bottom feeders are also hazardous. I would not recommend it. In the beginning, you might be able to compete on price, but competitors with deeper pockets can sell at a loss for longer than any bootstrap business can, by definition. So customers in such a market are not the dedicated, enthusiastic, and joyful customers you want to serve either. So yeah, that's there's always, always a problem with bottom feeding markets because yeah you'll be outfed and monopoly markets because also in monopoly markets now that i think of it it's important to understand that if your business has three or four customers and that's it because there's not too many they will dictate what to do if you have a couple dozen customers if you have a couple hundred customers if one leaves it's not a problem if you have four customers and 25 percent of your revenue is in one single customer you will try to do what they want because you need their money and you need them to stay a customer so it's really not helpful to subject yourself to a monopoly market from the beginning where this will always be a problem lastly i want to talk about markets and the evolution over time There are sure signs when a good market is starting to turn bad, and there are indicators for when previously unsuitable markets are promising to become interesting. Good markets turn to bad markets all of the time. Most companies are well aware, and they adapt to those kind of changes. Often whole divisions of businesses are dropped off or sold when a market that previously worked is turning into a lost center. Markets that are becoming hostile to business usually are full of very similar competitors, and they're fighting it out over price and marginal differences. But this kind of saturation makes it hard to get into a market, and even the business in that are already in there are suffering, usually a sign that a market is turning bad. 
technology changes also often destroys or abandons whole markets, like what email did to fax machines. There might still be a niche for the technology, but focusing on legacy doesn't usually promise a bright future. It really depends in this kind of case. In, in Germany here, we have a couple of institutions, governmental institutions, that only take requests via letter or fax. Like you cannot send them an email and you cannot call them. So because you don't want to send them a handwritten letter, people often fax them, but people don't have fax machines anymore. So there's this one service, like a fax as a service that exists online that has a pretty hefty monthly fee, but they are serving a niche that is going to be around for quite a bit, at least until the institution revamps their policy, which can take quite a while in Germany. So they'll be safe until then. But after that, nobody's going to buy that product. Nobody's going to use an online fax when they could just send a picture in an email. So not a bright future for them. It's going to stop at some point. When markets shrink is often a sign of deterioration as well. Whenever the number of agents and purchases in a market goes down, business growth just stalls. People cut costs, unnecessary expenses get reduced, and all businesses in the market will suffer from that. Regulation attempts. Yeah, attempts to regulating a market after it's been unregulated or only lightly regulated spell out trouble for the companies in it. We've seen this on a global scale with the GDPR and the PSD2 regulations here in Europe that affected a few markets drastically and made a lot of small companies exclude European customers out of fear for being fined millions. Even bigger companies like news outlets have started not serving European customers anymore when the uh, regulation was announced because they need the tracking, when it comes to GDPR at least, to make money. So they would rather not serve Europe than to actually be fined. When rules appear, problems follow. However... You will also find markets that were on fertile ground to sprout opportunities. These often um, happen in the wake of technological or structural change. The internet made the online education market explode. And where before was very little technology in education, now there are many opportunities on every level. New technology creates new process, both create new problems that didn't exist before, and where there are no prior solutions. Every market that grows in size significantly after a long period of stagnant growth is also an exciting target. More people means more customers, and with a no- noticeable increase in headcount, new and unique problems will present themselves. Whatever market you choose for your business, make sure you select it with confidence and the numbers to back it up. We've written about, uh, or I've written about how to determine the size of a SaaS market. So check that check that article out on thebootstrapfounder.com. The more you know about it, the more you have talked to subject matter experts and long-term residents in a market, the more you'll be able to make a sound decision. Making the correct choice is vital to the success of your business. So choose wisely. So that would be the article. Um, yeah, it's it's really important to understand this Goldilocks moment, I think. That's, that's something that in com- communicating this article that I wrote a while back, I've always been pointed at that this is the one of the most important parts is that the market needs to be big enough for you. Like that is that is obvious. You're not going to sell much to a market that will only, um, yeah, this, like 20 people. If you have 20 potential customers, how big would you be able to grow? Probably not much. So it obviously needs to be big enough for you to reach your goals. And that could be anything. That could be an MRR goal. That could be a market saturation goal. 
that could be just building a lifestyle business that has some sort of passive income, it's all fine. And it, it's all completely arbitrary. So you have to choose the market that fits your goals, but it has to be big enough. But the, the, the other part I think is even more important. It has to be small enough as well. Because first off, a small enough market kind of shows that you are in a niche. If the market is gigantic, it is very unlikely your niche. Um, your niche product and your service is serving a niche. And if you don't serve a niche as a bootstrap business, you're just running after customers that may not even be interested in being a customer for your product. You're spending money, you're wasting money on marketing efforts that are not reaching the people you need to reach. So it's really important to be precise when you define your niche um, to find out if that market is small enough. Because like I said, the second big part here is that a large market with a lot of people and a lot of potential will attract other gigantic competitors. Now, if you build software tools and you build tools that are so generically usable that they help people just, I guess, deploy their servers uh, or their, I don't know, their dockerized containers or something like this easily, but you build a very generic tool that everybody can kind of use, the fact that Microsoft might be interested in building a competitor or buying you, I guess, or buying a competitor and putting a lot of money into it so you could outmarket, they can outmarket you, that is a potential risk, right? It's a risk that a bigger company finds the potential, can afford it, can afford to push you out of the market, and then all of a sudden you don't have a business anymore. So you want to stay in your niche as much as you can. You want to be in a small enough niche to not have that be a potential. Should be big enough to sustain you and potentially a few competitors. And then you have found a great market. As this is the first step towards building a business, finding your audience, this is very, very crucial. Finding the right audience is not it's it is the first step but you also have to understand that you can always go back and find somebody else let's say you are interested in hairdressers you just want to help people who run their own salons and you want to help them with i don't know their scheduling system or their inventory or i i don't know like something that is relevant to them you figure out that in your city alone there's like 500 hairdressers and in, in the country there's uh, like half a million, I don't know. And there's a lot of these kind of businesses and they have problems. And then you start talking to people and you figure out, hmm, some of them have the scheduling issues, some do not. So all of a sudden your idea of serving hairdressers and with the purpose of helping them with the scheduling is not as interesting anymore. So maybe hairdressers are not the niche that you should be looking at. Um, you start researching other businesses that have tried to start uh, a bootstrap SaaS business in the salon industry, and you figure out that they all ran into the same problem that people, hairdressers, don't understand why they should be paying money for something that they could do with pen and paper. You read this over and over again, well, reconsider, right? Just because you picked an audience in the beginning, and you found it to be big enough, and you found it to be small enough, does not matter it's the right audience. It still needs to have a critical problem that is meaningful. You still need to be able to solve it in a meaningful way. And there still has to be a product that you can then reliably sell into that market for you to become a business, or to turn this into a useful business. 
So when you find the market that you were looking at has the right size, but not the right quality of problems, step back and look into a different market. We should have done this with a lot of projects that I've been part of in the past that failed. We always set a market in the beginning and we thought, this is it, gonna solve their problems. And then we looked for a problem, didn't find a critical one, but found interesting ones, solved them and failed with the business. We were too proud to admit that the market we were serving might just not be an interesting market for us at this very point. Of course, it's an interesting market for somebody, but it also has to fit you, right? You have to be interested in the market. You have to be genuinely interested in empowering and elevating the people in there. And if you just cannot make yourself do this, then it may not be for you. In a, in a recent consulting call that I had, I talked about this with a client and I kind of suggested to start doing content marketing for the market that he was interested in going into. And he told me that he just thought about building content, building like a blog and going to social media for the people in this in this kind of audience. And he felt he was not interested in it. He did not feel like this was something he wanted to do. And I made him think, well, if I already don't want to write to help and educate those people, is this the right market for me to be in? And kind of turned out it's not. So... Um, the the client is now looking for greener pastures or at least more interesting places that really captivate him, that make him want to help these people. So it's very important for you to actually be interested in who you're going to be serving. Well, this was finding a market to build a SaaS. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to this podcast. It'll help other founders, or founders-to-be, to find this podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap business. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.